father and son, patriot and loyalist, Benjamin and William Franklin each choose a side. And then things get really dark. Welcome to American Esoterica. If history class gives you the library book on Benjamin Franklin, this is the late fees for being overdue. The essential stuff in between, the personalities, events, and other ephemera that shape our history and culture. I'm Brian Powers. When we left them in 1775 in part one, and if you haven't heard that one yet, you'll need to go back and listen, Benjamin and William Franklin are very publicly split and fiercely loyal to their respective sides. Benjamin, a newly minted patriot advocating for revolution, and William, a dedicated loyalist swearing his allegiance to Britain. In January of 1776, William's letters are intercepted by the rebels. He has been spying on the revolutionaries and feeding intelligence to the British. He's briefly arrested and released, but after several further and greater attempts to rally the loyalists in New Jersey and actively hinder the revolution, the Continental Congress declares him to be a virulent enemy to the people of this country and a person who may prove dangerous. They confine him to a loose house arrest and then imprisonment in Connecticut, taking great care to treat him maybe a little better than their other prisoners who maybe aren't the sons of esteemed individuals in their highest ranks. William still manages to be a thorn in the side of the Patriots, though. Not only does he pass information to loyalist spies, he's still officially the colonial governor of New Jersey, so he uses that authority to issue pardons on behalf of the king, which helps loyalists hang on to their property. He gets busted doing all this in 1777, and the Continental Congress has had enough of his shenanigans. For violating his parole, William is placed into solitary confinement without access to writing implements. Meanwhile, Temple wants to visit his father in prison to bring a letter from William's wife Elizabeth, but Benjamin won't allow it except under certain conditions. When Elizabeth asks Benjamin if he can't use his influence to spring William, Benjamin just chides her, telling her that there were others suffering worse than her and really just suggesting that she just get over it. Ironically, Benjamin was doing his best to fight the very conditions to which William was subject. Just prisoners captured from his own side. At least a few folks see some hypocrisy in this, and Benjamin's reputation as a diplomat is somewhat tarnished by his inaction on behalf of his son. Not long after, Elizabeth falls gravely ill, and William writes to George Washington for a furlough so that he can be with her. Washington responds that he cannot honor the request and countermand the Continental Congress. She dies while he's still in prison. Benjamin, who has taken Temple and headed for Paris, does nothing to help William's imprisonment, even as William loses all of his hair and teeth and finally begs for death. So let's stop here and now ask the question, 
What do you think Benjamin Franklin should get for Father's Day? Ice tie? Something for the grill, maybe? A world's best dad coffee mug? These are just jumping off points, mind you. The Patriots eventually release William as part of a prisoner swap, but he continues to be a royal governor pain in the butt of the revolutionaries, organizing guerrilla squads of loyalists to attack the Patriots up and down the coast, even after the war is largely settled. He winds up involved in a diplomatic crisis, the Asgill Affair, that threatens the shaky peace in place after the surrender of Yorktown, but before the Treaty of Paris that officially ends the hostilities almost two years later. Unable to continue the fight, he departs America for England, never to return. But that doesn't mean he didn't leave something behind. William has become to the Loyalists what his father is to the Patriots. A figurehead for their cause, undaunted in his bravery and devotion to king and country, even rejecting his own father in the name of what he sees as right. He is the foremost loyalist from the colonies to return to Britain, and he uses his clout to advocate for the rights of other loyalists who are owed compensation by the British government or need help with their property in what is now a foreign country. When the Loyalists join with the British Army to repel an American invasion of Canada years later, it is William that they cite for inspiration. In 1784, William hears that Benjamin is coming to Paris and suggests they meet. Of course, he also reiterates that he thinks he did the right thing, which, if he wanted to reconcile with his father, was the wrong thing. Benjamin writes back, Nothing has ever hurt me so much and affected me with such keen sensations as to find myself deserted in my old age by my only son, and not only deserted, but to find him taking up arms against me in a cause wherein my fame, fortune, and life were all at stake. The two men would only actually meet once more for a few days in August 1785. Benjamin presents William with a list of debts he claims are owed to him running all the way back to William's childhood, such as clothes. To satisfy them, William signs away every piece of his property in the United States over to Temple. A few days later, after Benjamin has extracted every last penny he can from William, he and Temple sneak out and board a ship bound for America without saying goodbye. When Benjamin Franklin dies in 1790, he has largely written William out of his will. His last word on the matter being, the part he acted against me in the late war, which is of public notoriety, will account for my leaving him no more of an estate than he endeavored to deprive me of. This has been American Esoterica. All sounds were made by me, Brian Powers. Did I get it wrong? Did I get it right? Just want to talk about how libraries now apparently require you to put down a credit card? Drop me a note! Address is yell at americanesoterica.com. Thank you for listening, and God bless America.
Yeah.